You're listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host. Uh, I've uh, got Tracy Park, who is going to be joining us on the show today. Uh, you know, my background is I'm a concerned citizen, environmentalist, lawyer, advocate seeking solutions to help our homeless population. And and I had a chance to meet Tracy and got to know her a bit. And I really like a lot of things that she's saying. I'm welcoming Tracy to our program. Tracy's a candidate for L.A. City Council and has been an attorney for many years and now wants to serve the West Side as a council member. Tracy, welcome. Tell us our listeners a bit about your background and what led you to jump into this race for city council. All right, Matt, thank you so much for having me. Um, As you mentioned, I have been a practicing attorney here in Los Angeles for more than 20 years. I started my career working closely with businesses all over California and beyond. And about 12, 15 years ago, I joined my current firm where we specialize in representing and advising public entities across the state of California. So I work every day with city leadership, including elected officials, department heads, police and fire, um, our public sector unions on a wide range of different policy and and day-to-day issues. Um, I do continue to work with and advise businesses as well. And I am also a resident of Venice. And so I have over the last few years, had a front row seat to the growing crises on our streets. And so it, last year, I was approached by a number of residents and businesses here in Venice and asked if I would consider taking on the incredible challenge of running for the CD11 seat. And so after giving it some thought and thinking about, you know, my background and my skill set, I decided that the community was asking for my help and that I really had no other choice but to get involved and to take this on. So here I am. Well, I applaud the uh, the efforts and the willingness to jump in and serve the community. I, I know that that's a challenge of, of a magnitude that uh, is beyond normal. And uh, that's what we need in our communities to have people who are willing to jump in and serve and use their talents uh, for the benefit of the community. So let me ask you, what are your top five goals and objectives that you intend to accomplish uh, when elected to this Los Angeles City Council seat? Yeah, so thank you for that. And just to be clear, we have many, many problems here in the city of Los Angeles. Um, But I have done now over 100 community meetings, and I have held town halls in almost every community in CD11. We will be doing our Venice Community Town Hall this evening. And I am consistently hearing in those meetings a lot of consistency about the concerns that are shared across our district. So to boil it down to five main things, obviously homelessness is top of mind for many, many constituents and residents here on the west side of Los Angeles. We also have very significant public safety issues. Um, Crime has been on the rise across our city and that includes both property crimes as well as violent crimes. So I will be heavily focused on those issues. 
Economic recovery is something else that is really important to me. During the pandemic, the city of Los Angeles lost more than 300,000 jobs. And here on the West Side, small, independent, family, women, and minority-owned businesses have been hit incredibly hard. Um, finally, I would say infrastructure and the environment are absolutely critical. And in a lot of ways, those two issues go together. Uh, and, and I think jobs in the economy wraps in there as well. When we invest in infrastructure, particularly infrastructure that has good impacts on our environment, we are also investing in jobs and economic recovery. So those are the top five priorities for me coming into this new position. Well, let's take uh, the first, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. How do you plan to accomplish um, these goals and uh, who, who will you work with as allies to accomplish these goals? Yeah. So, you know, there, this is a really interesting time in Los Angeles as we head into this election season. As you are well aware, we are going to be choosing a new mayor, a new city controller, a new city attorney, as well as a number of new council members. And I have been in deep conversations with many of those candidates, as well as, I'm so sorry, as sitting council members. Uh, for the last 10 months or so, really thinking about where do we have commonalities in terms of the issues that our constituents are bringing to us? What are the things that we are going to be able to do to partner together to bring the changes that our communities are asking for? So I think about that a lot. Um, and yet, of course, a lot of it remains in the air as we're heading into election season. Regardless of the outcomes of the elections, I am confident that I am going to be able to work with our new and existing council members to create a coalition and a caucus uh, who are going to be voting in favor of the constituent priorities. And I am confident that with a new mayor and new leadership, we as a city together collectively will be able to achieve the things that we're looking to do. And there's a lot of, just to add on to that, there's a lot of opportunity for partnership with the private sector on a lot of these different issues, whether it's homelessness and, and infrastructure. Um, and, and so I've been working with community groups and organizations around those issues as well. Well, let's talk about homelessness and uh, what are the things that you think we can change direction on or, or that are areas that we could improve upon existing policies to uh, reduce the crisis nature of this this problem? Yeah. So I, I want to be very clear when it comes to homelessness that this is a very complex human problem. And there is no pie chart or five point plan or 30 day program that is going to cure this issue. What we are seeing on our streets today in many ways is the product of decades of bad planning and bad policy on a lot of different issues that you know, span the spectrum from economic opportunity and education to healthcare and mental health care to housing and more. And so this is something that we are going to have to be very deliberate about, and we are going to have to be patient, um, and we're going to have to work together, not just here in CD11, but across the city, to get us out of 
the crisis that we're in into a more manageable position. Now, there are some things that I think if done urgently will help us begin the process of mitigating the crisis and get this back under control. One of my biggest concerns has been that for a decade or more now, we have focused our time and our resources here in Los Angeles almost exclusively on building long-term permanent and supportive housing um, solutions. Those are essential. There is no question about that, and that must remain our long-term goal. The problem is that many of those projects are way behind schedule, way over budget, and we frankly don't have another decade to wait to bring those units online while people are dying on the streets every day. So I would propose that we move some of our focus, including some of our Triple H and other funds to shorter term shelter and emergency um, uh, housing options. Those aren't ideal and we've got to continue focusing on the long-term permanent housing solutions but we need to give people a place to go today where they can be safe and get connected to the services and the support systems that they need to begin getting stabilized. So I think that that is one fundamental shift that we need to see happen. And I am seeing more and more candidates uh, at all levels begin to have that conversation as well. Well, I know that uh, one of the organizations that we've worked with, uh, with a nonprofit that, uh, that I have is, is, is called share and they have, they've done some great work. And I was just talking to their directors and, and they, um, had taken a hundred plus people and helped them get off the streets, get housing and over 80 of them, they got jobs for. So not only did they house them, but they also help them get their lives back on track. And to me, that's a model that we should be using. And they were reaching out to governmental entities around the county, trying to get funding for uh, to roll it out to a thousand people. And quite frankly, I think we could use it to roll out to 10,000 people. I mean, we've got more than enough potential candidates that fall into this group that, uh, that that's, a, that's a program that deserves more funding. And I think uh, after the break, I'd like you to comment upon that and, and other programs, specific programs that we can uh, target to uh, increase funding for. And, and maybe you can even tell us if there are any programs that you think need decreasing funding and refocus those funds on, on other things. Uh, as well as uh, the zoning issue, which is kind of the elephant in the room, which uh, until we tackle that to allow people to build more units in the city of LA and across California, because we're down 3.4 million units in the state of California. Well, if you have 3.4 million units that are kind of missing from the housing stock, uh, it's no wonder you've got a homeless problem. So uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Matter and I'm talking to Tracy Park, candidate for the CD11 seat in the at the uh, Los Angeles City Council. We'll be right back in just one minute. 
Voices Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. Again, uh, my guest today, Tracy Park, and uh, candidate for CD11 count, City Council in L.A. So, Tracy, right before the break, we were talking about this uh, program, SHARE, and wanted to know if you're familiar with it and um, if you have any thoughts as to increasing funding to that group or any other groups that you feel like are doing a very good job of using our housing dollars to to help people get off the street and get get housed. Yeah, thank you for that. So Matt, I think that SHARE is an outstanding model and I've had the privilege and the opportunity to meet with some of their board members and visit some of their homes. And, you know, it is a model that one is scalable, two is cost-effective, and three, has excellent outcomes, in large part because it focuses on recovery and self-help and really does the whole person work that's necessary to help people get stabilized and back on their feet. And there's a few things about the program that are particularly notable to me. Uh, For one thing, it's not uncommon for individuals that have been housed together in SHARE to actually move on together as roommates in their own apartment and, you know, sharing a life and continuing the effort in the supportive peer bridging that's worked. Another thing that is notable to me about the program are the peer bridgers themselves. These are individuals that have lived experience that help the home residents create a set of rules that they abide by and really work with the individuals living in these facilities um, to help focus them on their journey to recovery and sobriety. Something else that I really love about the program is that they are actually training their participants um, and many of them are ultimately becoming employed as peer bridgers in the SHARE program. They also do a lot of work and outreach with um, individuals who have mental health issues. And as I'm sure you know, that is one of the most difficult populations living on the street to serve. I have long been a fan of SHARE and similar models, and I welcome the opportunity to work with SHARE going forward to help them bring more people into those settings. You know, it has always been a head scratcher to me that here in CD11, we have had a council member who for years and years shunned those models. And the narrative that we would often hear was that it was undignified for people to have to share a bedroom in a home. And that never resonated with me. What I think is undignified is leaving people who are sick and suffering, who need help out on the street to deteriorate and quite frankly, in many cases, die. So these shared housing models are, I think, something that the city needs to do a lot more investment in. And I certainly will be focusing over on that here on the West Side. Well, I I had uh, a proposal that I talked to a number of legislators up in in, uh, Sacramento about, which was to give a housing stipend to homeowners who would take in 
homeless individuals. And uh, that would be kind of similar to the share model, but uh, I've uh, kind of shifted focus to trying to get more dollars to share because they've got a, a clearly tested model that has worked. And I think uh, let's go with what is tried and true. And, and I think their model has, has worked. Are you familiar Tracy, with other models and other programs that you think uh, the city of LA should be putting, investing money into uh, for, to help solve the homeless problem? Yes. So there, uh, in addition to the, you know, some of the programs and services that are focused on keeping people housed, uh, rental subsidies and things like that, there is an organization called Hopics, and they have a program called Problem Solvers that is an early intervention program where they are able to help support individuals who are housing insecure, at risk of becoming homeless, or have only recently become homeless. And they offer help in a number of different ways whether it is by providing groceries, rental assistance, or placement into new housing. And the goal of that program is to intervene and help someone get stabilized before they enter into the coordinated entry system, before they actually become, you know, find themselves in the pipeline into the homeless system and services program. And I've had the opportunity to meet them and, and speak with them. And the work that they do is actually really incredible. And the ways that they are able to help people before they become chronically homeless, before they lose their home is really remarkable. And that is an organization that has very limited government funding and that's the type of prevention side program that I would like to see significant more investment in. A another great example of homeless services uh, are, is Union Rescue Mission, just to give you one example. And I recently had the privilege of attending the grand opening of Angeles House in South Los Angeles. That is Union Rescue Mission's new transitional housing for families. And this is a beautifully and thoughtfully designed building that has on-site daycare, educational classes, library, playgrounds, um, community rooms. There's on-site medical, dental, and other amenities. And one of the, the things that they really, it's non-negotiable for them is no drugs and alcohol. And that commitment to sobriety and stabilization and recovery overall has enabled organizations like Union Rescue Mission to have very successful outcomes with the population that they serve. But because of our legislative commitment to housing first and harm reduction models, many of those programs are not eligible for government funding. And I think that that is a real shame. It's also interesting and notable to me that organizations like Union Rescue Mission are able to bring those housing units online 
for about 50% of what the government is spending um, when bringing these Triple H projects online. That is uh, notable and sickening at the same time. Uh, it's, it is crazy that uh, I've heard uh, that somewhere $700,000 a unit for many of these units and, and one project I heard quoted at over a million dollars a unit. It's, it, you know, we've got to be able to do a better job at, at uh, reducing the costs of these units for sure. And, and quite frankly, I do feel like a share type model or union rescue type model gets people uh, kind of acclimated to going back into normal day-to-day -day life more effectively than, than some of the long-term programs that don't have any requirements for sobriety, which, uh, as we know, is one of the major drivers for the homelessness problem. So it's kind of like putting our heads in the sand and saying, oh, we, we, we wish upon people to be sober, uh, but, you know, do it in your tent. Uh, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen in a tent. So. And, and uh, that's right, Matt. And, you know, there is a reason that more than 500 people died in project room keys, because if you aren't addressing the underlying addiction issues, then really what we're doing is enabling and perpetuating that cycle of abuse. And, you know, I have spent a lot of time out in encampments talking to unhoused people because I believe that as a policymaker, it is important for me to understand what has worked for people and what hasn't worked, why they've been in but exited shelter settings. And you know, folks who are on the streets that aren't using drugs and alcohol tell me all the time they don't want to be housed with people who are. Uh, older people who are living on the streets tell me they don't want to be housed necessarily with youth. And women who are victims of domestic violence have their own unique set of needs and sources of support. And so I think that we need to be much, much more granular in how we are designing housing and shelter interventions so that we can get it right to really assist the populations that we need to serve. One, uh, one other program that has uh, gotten some press recently, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it, is, is to convert the old Sears building downtown or adjacent to downtown into a massive homeless shelter. And my recollection is that it was going to cost $20 million a year to lease it for 10 years and that uh, it would put everybody in this one, one place or not everybody, but thousands of homeless people into this Sears building. And so I'd like to get your take on that after the break. Uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and Tracy Park is our guest here running for city council in L.A. And uh, we'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and we've got Tracy Park uh, candidate for city council with us and tracy just before the break i was raised the issue of the old sears building adjacent to downtown and the potential to 
use it for uh, housing many homeless people. What, what are your thoughts on that one? So I think that this is a concept that we really should be leaning into. Um, I have repeatedly heard, not just from constituents in my own district, but from candidates who are running for mayor and for other council seats, call for a FEMA-like emergency response where individuals who are living on the streets can be triaged and have resources and services all available to them in one location. Um, the Sears building, as I recall, I think is over a million square feet. And the concept for that would be to have housing, medical services, mental health services, education services, all in one location. Um, so all the various floors of the building could be dedicated to the different service providers and outreach workers, as well as housing. And then if I'm not mistaken, the concept also calls for tiny homes to be added on you know, the parking lot portions of, of the property so that as individuals are graduating from their substance use disorder um, treatment, that as they're ready to become more independent and start living on their own, they have a, a, an opportunity to do that as we get them reintegrated into our communities. You know, we have seen for example, in Houston, Texas, a similar effort where all of the city's outreach workers and service providers were brought into one location that provides on-site, on-demand services, as well as housing. And that has made a tremendous difference in the city's ability to ensure that people who need the assistance are getting the care that they need and that they have a place to go where they can live and be safe from the streets. So this is something that I am certainly open to and I welcome the opportunity to work with the city to make it a reality. Okay, yeah, I, I have some concerns about the cost of 20 million a year for this uh, kind of white elephant building. Uh, it seems like it might be a, a bit much and that the real estate developer is, is making a, a good profit on this, uh, this building, but I haven't studied that aspect you know, in great depth. So I would just ask that you public policy makers, you know, really look over those numbers very carefully to make sure we're getting a, a good deal. Cause sometimes it seems like the city gets the short end of the stick in, in doing business with outside vendors. Yeah. And, and Matt, you're not wrong about that. And, and just, you know, to sort of take on this thread, the spending associated with addressing the homelessness crisis is something that has been of grave concern to me. And frankly, one of the reasons that I decided to get into the race. You know, we have pumped billions of dollars over the last two decades into organizations like LASA. We spend millions and millions of dollars every year on service providers we spend about $30 million a year on LA sanitation cleanups of encampments that house and help no one. And so we don't have unlimited resources to address this problem. And if we are going to get ahead of this and we are going to actually make the changes that help people get stabilized and recover from their circumstances, 
we have got to be more mindful about the spending. And so I, I think you are right about that. And at the end of the day, we have to be able to stretch our dollars as far as we can to help as many people as we can. Well, I, I certainly, uh, you know, welcome your efforts to really take a, a, a very close look at what we're spending and how we're spending it. Because it's not that I, I think that we're not spending enough, but not to say we couldn't spend more. But I, I would like to say as a citizen that we spend whatever tax dollars that we're contributing wisely and, and using it to get the best bang per buck and, and the best outcomes for the, the homeless individuals so that they actually get housed. I mean, uh, I wanted to pivot to environmental issues and uh, I've had a number of guests on the show. Uh, I've, uh, I admire the work that's being done at the state level by, on environmental issues by legislators like uh, Senator Ben Allen and his efforts to uh, limit the amount of single-use plastics that are sold in California, as well as many other things that he and others are doing up at the state level. And uh, what efforts can the city of LA take to address the environmental issues that are going on at a local level? And what are kind of your top objectives there? Yeah, so there are so many things that we are already doing and so many more things that we need to do to address climate change and sustainability. Here in CD11, which is our coastal district in Los Angeles, the environment is a huge concern to many of our voters. And so as we are thinking about and adopting policies, I am always mindful of the fact that we are blessed with some of our most um, important environmental resources here on the west side, from our Biona wetlands and freshwater marshes to our beautiful coastline and our ocean, to our wild urban you know, interface up in the northern parts of the district in the Santa Monica Mountains. There are environmental issues and catastrophes waiting to happen um, all over the city. So I think I'll start with the northern part of the district and move down. Obviously, you've probably heard the news that we are in a drought and we are expected to have another very serious wildfire season here in California. Um, ensuring that we have a wildfire community protection plan is something that I am going to be very carefully focused on. We are going to have to study fuel mitigation measures, uh, rainwater recapture systems for ensuring that our hillsides and their infrastructure uh, aren't a tinderbox and we don't end up with another uh, paradise situation on our hands. It's also really important to me that we are being mindful of our ocean and the pollution that is so detrimentally impacting our coastal resources. You know, for many years, I have been going out about once a week and picking up trash along the coast. This past Friday on Earth Day, I did that and we had had a storm on Thursday night. And every time we have a storm, it breaks my heart to see the amount of trash and pollution that is washing up on our shores. So investing in things like the Biona Creek Trash Interceptor, as well as similar infrastructure projects further upstream that help eliminate that waste and catch it before it comes into our oceans. 
I think it's also really important that we are looking at our water infrastructure in the city. Many of our pipes under the ground are 100 years old. Um, they're replete with leaks, which leads to water waste. And when those pipes and mains break, we see hundreds and thousands, if not millions of gallons of our water being wasted. So making those pre preemptive investments in capital improvement uh, projects is something that we'll be focusing on as well. The west side of Los Angeles also, I believe, should be a home to businesses that are committed to green energy and technology. And what I would like to see is the creation of green investment districts here on the west side so that we are a hub and a home for clean tech entrepreneurs. Um, organizations that are investing in green and clean technologies and incentivizing and rewarding businesses that are committed to environmental best practices. So just off the top of my head, those are a few of the initiatives that I'm thinking about and we'll be really excited to work on at City Hall. Well, uh, I'm, I'm uh, in sync with you on a number of those. And one of the, the last ones that you mentioned was the... Uh, working with entrepreneurs and, and the nonprofit that uh, I have, uh, we have just gotten our license to be a micro lender here in the state. And one of our goals is to lend to small businesses that have an environmental and sustainability uh, focus so that uh, they can be creating the businesses of the future, which uh, are environmentally sustainable businesses. Uh, one of the things that you talked about was the water waste that we have in in the city of LA and and uh, all across the the state but let's focus on the city uh, I had heard from one of the experts I've had on the show uh, regarding these issues that we're we, we're uh, sending billions of gallons out into the ocean of freshwater runoff and how can we recapture those and and your thoughts as to uh, what we can do on that front so water capture systems are a capital improvement and infrastructure project that I am really excited uh, to invest in here locally. And you probably also are aware that Hyperion is going to be probably one of the largest uh, gray water treatment plants anywhere here in Southern California. And if done properly, and invested in correctly, that is going to be a system that is significantly going to help Los Angeles make that tra transition to recycled water programs. And these are things that we absolutely have to invest in. As we are building for more density and as population grows, we have got to be mindful about our water resources here in the city and make these investments now. Right. I mean, it's a long term investment, but uh, that's what's going to recharge the, uh, you know, the water, the whole system, the whole ecosystem with with water. And uh, so that our drought will potentially break because of us handling this uh, this wastewater that we're putting out into the ocean, which does not need more fresh water in it. Uh, to survive. So uh, we're at our break. Uh, you're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. My guest again, Tracy Park, running for city council in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, we'll be right back.
You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, and we've got Tracy Park on the show today. I wanted to pivot to something, uh, Tracy, as far as I'm a fan of Mayor Rex Paris up in Lancaster, and and uh, Rex has done some great work up there over the last, I believe, been the mayor since about 2008, and uh, and he's reduced the time to issue permits for rooftop solar to hours instead of days or weeks or months. I mean, I bet I think it's something like he told me on the show that if they don't come up with a reason within 30 minutes or something, the inspectors they issue the permit. So I mean, that's just kind of cutting out the bureaucracy stopping the the delays and moving things forward that are environmentally friendly they've worked with the developers up there kb homes and and some of the other big developers to design more energy efficient homes so they're using less power and uh the power companies aren't wild about the work rex is doing but the consumers are he's also converted uh, a lot of their buses if not all of them to zero emission buses they do green energy production there. They have major solar arrays with kind of these uh, devices that intensify the rays of the sun and the heat of them. I don't understand the science there, but uh, they seem to be very powerful um, devices to help generate green energy and also hydrogen production. What, what can we learn from the city of Lancaster uh, that uh, we can implement down in LA. I know LA has done quite a bit, but it's got a, a ways to go, right? It, there's always a ways to go in the city of Los Angeles, but I think maybe one of the most important things that you mentioned about Lancaster is eliminating the bureaucracy and rapidly approving these kinds of projects. Um, we unfortunately here in the city of Los Angeles are snarled in red tape and delays, whether you know it's new development or it's transitioning to new environmentally sustainable policies and practices. That said, uh, there are a number of great initiatives here in the city that are already underway. The city is in the process of transitioning its entire fleet to electric vehicles. Uh, you may have seen a post from our new fire chief that we are in the process of updating even all of our fire vehicles to, um, to EVs, which is really exciting. So as I think about that as an example of an excellent environmental initiative, it certainly raises the issue of our need to rapidly and drastically expand our city's EV charging infrastructure. Uh, if we want to get people out of ICE vehicles and get them invested in um, environmentally friendly vehicles, we've got to make it easy and accessible for everyone to get a charge, especially when they're out on the go. It also makes me think about, you know, some of the environmental and humanitarian concerns with the mineral mining and what goes into the battery production for EVs and other electronic items as well. But in the salt plains in South America where lithium is mined, you know, that actually requires a lot of water and that has humanitarian impacts as well as environmental impacts. In other parts of the world where these minerals are mined with chemicals, we often see those chemicals getting into our fresh waterways and um, killing wildlife, you know, even up to 100 miles downstream. And so it would be very important to me as a council member 
that as we are making these purchases for the city fleet, that we are contracting with companies that are committed to environmental and humanitarian best practices. And I think it also raises the really important question of our disposal of e-waste in the city. Uh, I'm always surprised when I ask constituents if they know that they can take their e-waste to a location like Hyperion Station and how few people are aware that we have that resource available, but we're going to need to um, increase those types of facilities um, here in the city. Uh, you also mentioned rooftop solar. I am a huge fan of that, and I'd like to see that incorporated in our new building and environmentally sustainable practices as we are building. You know, you mentioned earlier all the housing production that we need to do. According to the RENA numbers, we need to come up with 450,000 new units here in Los Angeles over the next decade. And I think that those environmentally sustainable building practices are really important. Retrofitting our current, our, our current homes and infrastructure is important as well. And that very well may mean subsidizing rooftop solar in our lower income communities. Uh, we can't make these environmental practices inaccessible to folks that need the help to make those, those transitions. And at the end of the day, in the long term, uh, those are things that are good for the planet, which means they're good for all of us too. Right. Uh, well, you mentioned a problem with the the disposal and the mining related to all the EV batteries. And uh, as somebody who drives a hydrogen car, which doesn't have that problem, I'm kind of, you know, make that raise that point is that what can we do to kind of maybe uh, convert or have more hydrogen vehicles uh, that, you know, from what I have been told the, from experts, the larger vehicles are even better suited for hydrogen, such as probably buses and, and things of that nature. And what could we do to, uh, to uh, roll that out here in the city? Uh, they're kind of perfectly uh, suited for, for that type of uh, situation. Yeah. And the investment in, you know, in the hydrogen-based energy, I think is really important. Um, there are different types of hydrogen production and different layers and levels of environmental impact, depending on what type of um, hydrogen production we're talking about. But the reality is, at the end of the day, we have got to move off of dirty fossil fuels. Um, we see the impacts of that all over the city, the country, and frankly, all over the world. And so, you know, some of these technologies like in your vehicle are really exciting to start seeing coming online uh, in the marketplace. And, you know, we're going to have to be creative about this. It's not going to be all solar. It's not going to be all mineral based. It's not going to be all wind or all hydrogen. We're going to have to create and invest in a por portfolio of energy, clean energy production supplies and platforms that can power our city for our, our next generations in a way that is environmentally sustainable and responsible. So I look forward to, to, to working with organizations and innovators that are bringing these new technologies to our marketplaces. Well, you mentioned wind energy, and uh, I, I, quite frankly, I don't think I've seen too many or any wind turbines in, in the city of LA. Are there places where wind turbines could be placed in the city of LA and are 
we in the process of expanding that in any way? Not in the city of Los Angeles, but if you have ever driven up toward the Sierra, I'm sure you have seen the expansive areas where there has been significant investment in the wind turbine infrastructure. Uh, certainly, if you've ever gone out towards Palm Springs, you see it there as well. You know, it is one uh, potential source of renewable energy, but there are some environmental uh, collateral impacts associated with that type of energy production as well. For one thing, it requires vast, vast swaths of open land. Um, there are numerous documented incidents of turbine fires. Uh, production or disposal of used turbines is another serious concern. Uh, if you just Google wind turbine disposal, you'll see some very, very um, striking and shocking images. Um, you know, those don't just decompose in landfills. Um, and there are some impacts on wildlife that come with that type of energy production as well. So it's, it's one resource that we have some existing infrastructure for. Um, it, it's not necessarily the most efficient. And when we take into account the collateral environmental impacts, it, you know, it, it, it's one of a potential menu of things, um, maybe not necessarily the preferred type of renewable energy. Well, I'd have to have you debate uh, my guest from the previous show, who is this John Hopkins, uh, John Hopkins professor, who, you know, was a big wind advocate and, uh, he was saying that the cost of wind is is actually lower than almost any other form of uh, of energy. So, and he was talking about uh, wind energy out in in the oceans and uh, some onshore wind. It would be challenging. The the technology is a little bit different because I guess our coastline drops off so fast uh, they can't tether it to the the ocean floor like they do it on the east coast and in Europe, but I don't know if uh, if the city is considering any of those options. Well, if a professor from my alma mater at Johns Hopkins is telling you that it is one of the more efficient resources, um, I certainly wouldn't quibble with him and I would look to him for his expertise on that. And you're right. You know, they have done some of these offshore projects in, in Europe and some other places. And again, you know, I think it is one one of a number of different types of clean energy solutions that we need to be looking at. At the end of the day, we have an enormous grid that needs to be powered. And if we are going to reduce and eventually cease our reliance on fossil fuels, we are going to have to make those investments and ensure that we are looking at a, a number of different ways and platforms to get those energy delivery systems in place. Right. Uh, my friend from John Hopkins, John Hopkins was telling me that uh, Denmark uh, yes. gets 100% of its electricity from wind during the winter months, which is pretty phenomenal. So, yeah. and a number, you know, Iowa gets 40% of their electricity from, from wind. So, uh, it is it is a source that uh, should be in the mix. So anyway, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Tracy, and uh, wish you all the best in your run. Uh, the election day is coming up in what is it, June 6th? June 7th is election day. Ballots will be arriving in the mail right around May 9th. So folks can just drop those right back in the mail or they can vote in person on June 7th. OK, well, great. Well, uh, 
best of luck to you in the election. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon again on the program uh, when you're formally a city council member. I'd love to come back, Matt. We'll see you then. Okay. Well, you've been listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. And uh, tune back in next week.